0: This is Melbourne. Welcome to Shire Network News. I'm your host, Tom Payne. As this is our 20th episode, I thought I'd change things around a little and play with a different theme. Uh, what's that you say? The the music sounds familiar? Why, of course, it's Lily Bolero, the tune used by uh, Orangeman in Ulster. Yeah, that's right, it's definitely nothing to do with a certain left-leaning global broadcasting empire based in London. It is in fact well known as the tune to The Protestant Boys. Like to hear it? Here it is. The Protestant boys are loyal and true, stout-hearted in battle and stout-handed too. The Protestant boys are true to the last and faithful and peaceful when danger has passed. And oh, they bear and proudly wear. The colours that floated on many a fray. Where cannons were flashing and sabres were clashing, the Protestant boys still carried the day. Thank you very much. I'm only an Osterman by descent. I'm actually Jewish, you know. Yep, half of me wants to get drunk, the other half doesn't want to pay for it. I'm the only one allowed to make that joke, by the way. Well, despite appearances, you are in fact listening to Shia Network News, the official podcast of the Anglospheric group blog, silentrunning.tv. Coming up in the program, we'll be speaking to Meryl Urish of urish.com about her efforts to wake people up to the danger posed to Jews in the modern world.
1: Synagogues are being torched. Jews are being shot at. Jews are being beaten. Jews are being murdered because they are Jews. I don't think that's paranoia. I think it's called Fact.
0: Also, in the program, we'll have a report on the Tory party conference from Andrew Ian Dodge in London, and Lawrence Simon in Houston talks about the Bush says God talks to him non story. As always, the blogs mentioned in this podcast will be linked at silentrunning.tv, so you can click on the links and go to the sites that we'll be talking about here on the program. Right, let's start off, as always, with blog news. news. The BBC are being themselves again when it comes to Jews. They recently ran a documentary about the Jewish community's organisation tasked with looking out for threats, the Community Security Trust. With the big upswing in anti Semitic attacks across Europe, synagogues being torched, cemeteries defaced, and Jews being attacked in the streets, you'd think even the BBC might admit to the need for some sort of defensive apparatus for the vulnerable Jewish community. But no, being the BBC, naturally they divide the world into victims and oppressors, and as the Palestinians have been labelled victims for the chattering classes in Europe, this automatically makes Jews oppressors, so any potential threats to them are either legitimate, as in the case of Israelis being targeted by missiles and mortars from the Gaza Strip, or imaginary, such as on the streets of British cities. Melanie Phillips participated in the documentary, but she's horrified by the sneering tone of the end product in which the BBC essentially says Jews are making it up and trying to create some sort of sinister paramilitary and intelligence-gathering organisation. You can listen to it on the internet if you have the stomach for it. Melanie Phillips herself, of course, weighs in on her own blog, and we'll have more about the war against the Jews later in the programme when I interview Meryl Urish. If you don't believe Jews are being targeted on the streets of Britain, I would be most interested to hear what might happen to a BBC producer who tries to walk through the centre of Bradford wearing a kippah and a mug and David round his neck. Not terribly keen on doing that? Why ever not, old chap? I thought you said it was perfectly safe.
1: German, <laughs>
0: German Chancellor Gerhard Schroeder has left office. Yes, I know how you feel. Displaying his trademark grace, wit and intelligence. I do not want to name any catastrophe where you can see what happens if organised state action is absent. I could name countries, but the position I still hold forbids it. But everyone knows I mean America. Yes, well Germans would know all about organised state action, wouldn't they? Gerhard Schroeder, a class act all the way. David Kaspar at German blog Dave's Median Critic has the tone for his valediction just right and while you're there check out the awesome power of vlogs for the story of how Dave managed to successfully hold Der Spiegel's feet to the fire over their craptacular reporting from the United States US listeners might be very Interested in what the Europeans are being told about your country in languages other than English. Well, Dave's median critic manages to put enough pressure on Der Spiegel, the German equivalent of the New York Times, to get them to post an English language translation of an article they ran about the United States. Oh boy, these bastards couldn't lie straight in bed. The article is about unemployment in Kannapolis, North Carolina, and an unemployed family there. You know, evil American capitalism, breadline soup kitchens, shattered lives, lost hope, yada, yada, yada. It's a pity that Dave did some research and discovered that the unemployment rate in Kannapolis is below 5%, and indeed below the U.S. national average. And uh, the unemployment rate in Germany for years now has been, let's just have a look, oh, look at that, 10%. But that's okay because they're sophisticated, nuanced and European about it. You stupid Americans couldn't possibly understand why less than 5% unemployment in North Carolina is a shocking indictment on the savage inequities of brutal American capitalist exploitation while having 10% of Germans out of work is just peachy. New Zealand continues to stumble along without an actual government as such. All the party leaders are busy trying to stitch together some sort of Frankenstein's monster of a coalition with which to shamble clumsily towards the next election in 2008 or until the wheels fall off, whichever comes first. In the meantime, in a country where trade unions still take part of workers' wages and use the money to directly fund political propaganda on behalf of a single political party, the Dominion Post in Wellington has discovered the most sinister threat to democracy ever conceived. Here's their spine liquefying scoop. It was confirmed yesterday that members of the Exclusive Brethren had tried to arrange talks with New Zealand First, whose seven MPs are critical to a national-led government. (gasps) Church members talking to politicians? Oh my God, it's the end of the world as we know it. As New Zealand political blog Sir Humphreys noted, what next? You'd almost think it was a free country and the Dom Post had nothing better to pay their reporters for. The background to this is that the Exclusive Brethren are, well let's be honest here, it's a pretty cultish sect of Christianity that believes in living apart from the corrupt and sinful world and its members don't vote. That didn't stop them from putting out some pamphlets at the election trying to persuade people to vote for the centre-right National Party and that caused New Zealand's left-wing commentariat to spaz out on a truly impressive display of anti-religious paranoia. Apparently, this rather inept foray into expressing an opinion by a church would inevitably lead to the reintroduction of the death penalty for atheists and 40 lashes for disobedient wives. Or something, we're not really clear on the details, but uh, it was going to be bad, Okay. Meanwhile, the New Zealand Public Service Association, the Union for State Sector Workers, was handing out pro-Labour Party material on hospital premises during the campaign, but that's different, apparently. It was announced in Stockholm this week that British playwright Harold Pinter has been awarded this year's Nobel Prize for Literature. The announcement was followed by an uncomfortably long pause. And then some seemingly innocuous yet vaguely sinister sounding conversation which no one quite understood but felt must be terribly meaningful because they paid £20 to get in and they wouldn't put on any old rubbish at the South Bank Centre, now would they? In response to accusations that the Nobel Prizes have become too politicised in recent years, featuring winners chosen apparently for their strident anti-Americanism, the committee chairman demanded to know if the person asking that question was a Jew. After some hurried discussions with officials, he then changed his response to asking if the questioner was a Zionist and subsequently downgraded it to wondering aloud if the person asking the question might perhaps unwittingly be playing into the hands of the power-crazed neoconservative cabal of pro-Likud officials who've seized control of U.S. foreign policy. Bush PR effort backfires, stage teleconference with soldiers hurts White House credibility, debacle over rigged questions. Unsurprisingly, President Bush is still unable to catch a break from the mainstream media, all of whom seem to have bought the daily cost line that his talk with some of the troops in Iraq this week was some sort of plastic turkey redux. In actual fact, if you go behind the screaming anti-Bush headlines, you can see that all that happened was the soldiers participating were given a few tips on how to hold a microphone, how to pass it around, and what to do in a live TV situation. What with live-to-camera work not actually being a recognised military occupation speciality yet. Nothing was hidden from anyone during the setup period, it was all absolutely open, in fact it was broadcast. The guys were getting ready to be asked some questions by the Commander-in-Chief and they wanted to run through what they might say so they didn't dry up when the cameras were rolling. Since when did standard practice become a scandal? Since George W. Bush became President, or as Daley Coss wants to suggest, Satan's Viceroy on Earth. Fortunately, thanks to blogs, you can go right to the source for your information, rather than relying on the mainstream media, and I pity the fool that gets his information from CNN, the BBC and the New York Times. And by straight to the source in this case, how about one of the soldiers who took part in the so-called staged event, Sergeant Ron Long. He has his own blog at 278medic.blogspot.com and he responds to the media's fake hysterics like this. First of all, we were told that we would be speaking with the President of the United States, our Commander-in-Chief, President Bush. So I believe that it would have been totally irresponsible for us not to prepare some ideas, facts or comments that we wanted to share with the President. We were given an idea as to what topics he may discuss with us, but it's the President of the United States. He'll choose the way his conversation will go with us. We practiced passing the microphone around to one another so he wouldn't choke someone on live TV. We had an idea as to who we thought should answer what types of questions, Unless President Bush called on one of us specifically. Duh. Australian playwright, towering cultural colossus and speaker of truth to power, David Williamson, was recently forced to share the company of some of his fellow Australians aboard a cruise ship. Oh, the horror... Oh, the insult to one's delicate sensibilities from the crass materialism of the aspirational middle classes. It really is enough to make one despair of them ever being clever enough to simply do as they're told by their intellectual betters. He wrote an article about his terrible experience of being trapped on a boat surrounded by Kath and Kim clones in the Bulletin, and Tim Blair linked to it. He couldn't say much about it because Tim Blair is actually the Bulletin's associate editor, but he knew his commentators would do the job for him. And did they what? My personal favourite is this effort from Habib. I like the final tirade about dwindling resources, living beyond means and global warming, all penned by a turd with a million plus gaff in Noosa and a multi-million dollar one in Melbourne, both fitted with every modern fitting and fixture and lots of overpriced tacky art, between which he regularly commutes by Kero burning jet aircraft when not buggering off by the same means to the third world to tut-tut about poverty and deprivation and buy some more tacky local artisans' efforts to further clutter his large residences and impress his equally daffy comrades with his diversity awareness and cultural sensitivity. Nice one, Habib. Williamson chose to contrast the sun and fun cruise he went on with the Australians to a more culturally oriented one with some Brits, in which they attended lectures delivered by Oxford academics and visited sites of historical significance. He said one of the most memorable parts of that trip was when they went to a former Khmer Rouge killing ground and saw skulls stacked up on top of each other. OK, Dave, if the highlight of your vacation is seeing a pile of skulls, you might want to seriously look into changing travel agents, OK? OK. Seriously, though, do go and read David Williamson's Lament for the Lucky Country in the bulletin. It's one of the most unintentionally hilarious things I've read all year, and I strongly suspect Tim Blair of commissioning it knowing the effect it would have. Well, that's enough blog news. Now it's time for the Full of Crap Report from Lawrence Simon.
2: Hi there, this is Lawrence Simon, this is uh, this week's Full of Crap Report. Did you miss me? The BBC is running some kind of documentary which is nothing more than a recycling bin for all sorts of PLO propaganda and whines from the most suicidally leftist aspects of Israeli society, the worst of which had the headlines a week ago. According to Abbas, immediately thereafter, Bush said, God told me to strike at Al-Qaeda and I struck them, and then he instructed me to strike at Saddam, which I did, and now I am determined to solve the problem in the Middle East. If you help me, I will act, and if not... Elections will come, and I will have to focus on them. This was hyped up by that infamous parasite in fedora, Matt Drudge. You know, in that stupid H1 font that he uses to let us know that a Category 5 hurricane is going to wipe Houston off the map, or the president's gotten a blowjob. All it took was just one idiot in the White House press corps to get it smacked back in their faces. The reporter says, Have you ever heard that the president say that God told him to invade Afghanistan and Iraq and... Scott McClellan. No, and I've been in many meetings with him and never heard such a thing. Reporter... Are you aware of the, there's a BBC broadcast tonight that's quoting the Palestinian prime minister and foreign minister as saying that they were in a meeting with the president in June of '03, And there were some very detailed quotes in there saying that the president said to them, God told me, George, go and fight those terrorists in and I did. And then God told me, George, go and fight the tyranny in Iraq, and so forth and so on. McClellan, no, that's absurd. He never made such comments. Pretty definitive statement there. This one didn't get much traction in the blogosphere. Well, maybe with just the usual gamming of severely brain-damaged hard lefties like, uh, oh, I don't know, Ted Rawl, had parroted these absurd comments. One idiot in particular in the mainstream press, Paul Vallely of The Independent, demonstrated that a year after Dan Rather's well-peplestized breakdown from the basic principles of journalism, reporters still engage in the idiocy of fake-but-accurate. Let's check that paragon of propaganda and bullshit. Saudi Arabia's Arab News. The Internet was buzzing. Huge numbers of people rushed to have their say on reports that George Bush had invaded Iraq because he was told to by God, whom, we learned, calls the president of the world's only superpower, rather informally, by his first name. In one sense, however, it does not matter what he actually said. What is alarming enough is that this is the kind of thing he would say— Every line of it is entirely consonant with George Bush's religious worldview. (sighs) Otherwise, folks pretty much know that anything coming out of Saeb, Erekat, Mahmoud Abbas, Nabil Shah, Ahmed Khoury, is just utterly full of crap, even if it goes to the BBC, Matt Drudge, or whomever is slapping a banner ad for Viagra, or some gambling or porn site on it. (sighs) This is Lawrence Simon of well, pretty much every goddamn podcast out there that Adam Curry doesn't listen to. Back to you, Tom Payne.
0: Thanks, Lawrence. Okay, as you may have gathered from certain parts of the blogosphere, things are not going particularly well for us Red Sea pedestrians just at the moment. Our dear cousins, the Palestinians, are sending rockets and mortars into Israel, and the world hardly bats an eyelid, while any attempt by Israel to do something about that is regarded as a horrible crime and there have been some concerns expressed repeatedly by many Jews that Europe has become hostile to Jews, particularly uh, in the streets and intellectually in the media and universities. To discuss this phenomenon, I spoke to blogger Meryl Urish, originally from New Jersey and now in Richmond, Virginia, and asked her if perhaps we weren't just being paranoid.
1: No, absolutely not. Synagogues are being torched. Jews are being shot at. Jews are being beaten. Jews are being murdered because they are Jews. I don't think that's paranoia. I think it's called fact. There was a wave of anti-Semitic attacks in Europe that started in 2002. The spring of 2002, people may remember, was the year that Israel finally started fighting back in the latest terror war and launched, I believe it was called Operation Defensive of Shields. The world ignored the hundreds and hundreds of Jews being blown up at restaurants, in pizza parlors, being mowed down at bar mitzvahs. I mean, gunmen came into a bar mitzvah specifically to kill 13-year-old Jewish children and succeeded quite well. The world just kept on saying, well, you know, if Israel would just give the Palestinians a state, they would stop doing this. And Israel tried giving the Palestinians a state in the Oslo Agreement. Nothing happened. Um, They gave Yasser Arafat something like 97% of what he asked for, and he said not enough. So when Israel finally started fighting back, suddenly the rest of the world said, whoa, wait a minute, you you can't beat up on those poor, helpless Arabs. All they were doing was blowing you up. And you're you know, going over there with guns and tanks and missiles and helicopters. And the Europeans seem to accept this as an excuse. When North African Muslims in France would go after Jews in France, the French would say, well, you know, Israel, it's a situation. What can we do? Well, what you're supposed to do is stop it, because how is it that Jews in France should be punished for what's going on in Israel.
0: Do you think that we're living through a, a kind of a rerun of the 1930s in Europe?
1: As a matter of fact, it doesn't matter if I think that. I wasn't alive during the 1930s. I have no frame of reference. However, there are numerous Holocaust survivors, some of whom I have spoken to personally, and many of whom who have sent me letters on my weblog, that say, yes, we are going through 1930s Europe all over again. They are frightened. They are terrified. They are having nightmares. And they see the similarities. How does this make you
0: feel? Sitting there in Richmond, Virginia, we're assuming you're reasonably safe and sound in in a place like that. But seeing this happen worldwide, you've you've got to be feeling pretty enraged.
1: pisses me off no end. It fuels, uh, I'd say, 80% of my weblog content. And prior to 2002, 80% of my weblog content was, um, well, you'd have to filter it under miscellaneous. You really
0: changed, didn't you? You started becoming much more interested in Jewish causes around that time.
1: Not more interested in Jewish causes. I've always been interested in Jewish causes. I became much more interested in the news of the world and much more interested in tracking things like anti-Semitism, in tracking um, attacks on Jews, in tracking the media bias against Israel. And it is enormous. I wake up every morning to NPR that's what my radio is set for. I don't like loud buzzing noises in the morning. And more often than not, if they're talking about Israel, it's a lie. It's biased against Israel. It makes it look like the Palestinians have done absolutely nothing and suddenly Big Bad Israel came in with their um helicopters and their um, hellfire missiles and you know, blew up this sweet little innocent old man who happened to be the founder of Hamas, you know, that peaceful organization.
0: One of the things you've made a particular point of in your weblog is to keep track of all the violations of the ceasefire the Palestinians have indulged in.
1: Yes, because it's not a ceasefire. It is a lessening of hostilities from their end. When you're defending yourself, you're not launching hostilities. When you are tracking down murderers and trying to stop them from blowing up your people, you're not engaging in hostilities, and that's not violence. But the media is constantly saying an upsurge in violence when terrorists attack Israel, Israel defends itself, and they call it an upsurge in violence on both
3: sides.
0: On your weblog there was a a comment recently uh, where someone, I think it was you, who said that look if someone was actually rocketing El Paso uh, or or launching mortars into San Diego from Mexico, how long would the United States stand for it?
1: Yeah, that wasn't me, that was one of my commenters, but it's a point I've made before. Um, I do not think that the United States would allow canada to send rockets into new york and again you know there are there are um mexicans who talk about getting the occupied territories back from um america just imagine like you said just imagine one of them launching one little mortar towards san diego you'd never see a second one i'm not saying that we would blow up tijuana i'm just saying that would be clamped down upon so fast I think people think I concentrate too much on one issue, but I keep on trying to separate the issue from the rest of my weblog and failing miserably. I tried a group blog that lasted maybe a month. It seems to me that uh, my braise on the blog, as I like to call it, is Jewish issues advocacy.
0: They seem to be the the issues that really push your buttons, that, that get you writing very passionately.
1: Well, you know, when you're part of a minority religion that has been persecuted nearly all of its existence, and you're watching your, basically, I consider them all my family, going through the sorts of things that you see in Israel, that you see in these attacks in Europe, in Russia, in the Ukraine, where the Premier has said that in spite of the fact that Jews are being beaten regularly and other anti-Semitic attacks are happening, there is no anti-Semitism in the Ukraine.
0: Well, that's, that's a comfort, isn't it?
1: It is, because, you know, then I can stop writing this on my blog and I can go back to posting cat pictures
0: what kind of people read your blog is it mainly jews or they non-jews as well
1: i think i have a significant non-jewish following i have a fair amount of christian followers and i don't mean the kind that, that want all jews to go back to israel so that what is it the rapture can happen
0: the second coming yeah.
1: yeah whatever that they follow my weblog because they believe like i do that Israel is in the right.
0: Well, that's your blog that other people read. What blogs does Meryl Urish read? What are some of your favorite blogs?
1: Well, I check Insta Pundit and Little Green Footballs regularly. They're they're my daily reads. Lawrence Simon um, is full of crap.com. I used to read um, I Like a Demen at I Like a.moo.new, but she is no longer blogging at the moment. Got into a little tiff with Jeff Goldstein. Well,. I get into tips with Jeff Goldstein from time to time. I'm not going to stop blogging. Oh, I I also read Silent Running, by the way, regularly.
0: Where do you see blogging going in the future? At the moment, we've got this situation. We've got a lot of individual voices such as yours um, getting out there. Uh, We're getting a certain amount of readership, but it's not really the mass phenomenon that many people have predicted it might be. Do, Do you think it's going to develop in the future, change? Are blogs going to cooperate more? Is it going to become more professionalized, perhaps?
1: I know people are trying to make it so And you're also asking me to predict something This is the person who sat there When Yahoo was $4 a share And said who the hell would buy Yahoo stock
0: You know you're quite right I shouldn't ask you to make predictions It's much safer to stick to post mortems
1: Yeah it is because I'm sorry I'm never going to forget I said that in 1997 I think it was You know 100 shares bought At that $4 a share I'd be a rich woman today I think though I, I know more about weblogging and about the internet than I did about stocks. and I think that some bloggers, they've already been co-opted, but you know what's really happening is professional media creep is taking over the weblogs, the the major weblogs. There's a lot of people saying, wow, you know, little independent journalist bloggers did this and little independent journalist bloggers did that. But the people who are getting all the press and most of the links are the people who are already professional journalists. Glenn Reynolds is certainly an exception to the rule. Um, Daley Koss built itself up into a huge political force, and then he was co-opted into politics, which is, I believe, where he started from anyway. One of the reasons that I am not as big a blogger as some people is the um, narrowness of the scope of my web blog. Another reason is that I am in the conservative blogosphere, even though I am not conservative, but because I am not conservative enough, Many of the bloggers on the right won't touch me, won't link to me, don't like me. I'm a feminist. They hate that. I'm a social liberal. Don't like that. See, that's the thing. The bloggers on the left won't touch me because they see me as too right-wing because of my um, strong Zionist stance and because I voted for Bush.
2: How
0: could you?
1: (laughs) Well, I did not believe that Kerry would prosecute the war on terror although I am regretting my vote because I don't believe that Bush is holding up to the promise that he made because it seems that with Bush the Israeli Exception Clause is in effect. The Exception Clause is basically a phrase you add to the end of any statement except for Jews. Terrorism is really bad and we should fight it everywhere everywhere except for Jews. Terrorism is an awful thing. You can never use it as an excuse to gain a state or something like that except for Jews. You know... Uh, Palestinians have made hay out of the exception clause.
0: That was Meryl Urish, whose blog is urish.com, and it even has a spiffy new design. Uh, full disclosure, she and I are friends, and she very graciously showed me around Richmond when I visited the U.S. in 2003. So visit her blog, bookmark it, permalink it, and tell her Tom Paine sent you. And now to address a refugee crisis being ignored by the mainstream media. In fact, one that's been going on for decades without relief or recognition. Here's our very special correspondent with the awful truth.
3: For years, gnomes have been forced into a nomadic life by global deforestation, only fall prey to an ever-growing and fattening domestic cat population. Yes, that's right, gnomes. Now is the time to act and save us vertically challenged forest dwellers from being germinated on the hoof. After years, well, possibly weeks, if not minutes of research and development, a solution to the gnome housing crisis has been found. A prefabricated housing system has been developed by a resident insane invent- uh, the creative specialist and is now available for global distribution. I'll be coinciding with this, some need for a cash injection. This prefabricated housing option will provide gnomes everywhere, especially your garden, with a safe, comfortable and attractive dwelling in only minutes. Each gnome home is individually hand-cast and painted, making each one a unique and lasting feature. They're all supplied with mounting nails and can be secured to any flat surface, creating an instant residence for little people like me. So don't let your backyard be a hunting place for your already chubby moggy. Give the gnomes a home to go to. Your kids will love you and future archaeologists will be baffled. A number of gnome home options are available, at gnome-home.edsburg.net and can be shipped as Christmas presents complete with a gift wrapping and a personalized greeting card give the gifts of imagination this Christmas and please help fight the peril of gnomelessness
0: and that uh, internet address for Gnome Homes again is gnome-home.edsburg.net now let's go to Andrew and Dodge our man in London good afternoon from lovely London
4: well greyish London not raining but lovely we're not in New Hampshire after all can't wait to hear Stein's next piece about the antiluvian floods they've been suffering there. Anyway, if I seem a bit off, I have an excuse. Um, I was unfortunately woken up this morning by a friend of mine who I'm working on a project called ChelseaGirls.com www.ChelseaGirls.com which is a uh, all-girl rock group or pop band that we're going to be working with to call me up to offer me a part on a television show. Now, normally most people would think that's cool, but when I'm half awake, it was sort of a rather something odd. But anyway, I'll probably end up doing it, you know. Not that I'm a ham or anything. Uh, no sign of David Farrar. He's AWOL. Of course, the last thing I knew was in Belfast. And after Tory conference going to Belfast, who knows when he's going to pop up again. Rumors have it that he's going to arise in London sometime tomorrow. I want to start out with a bit of fun since everything's been a bit depressing in the news of late. Um, obviously, our, our dear host, who's a. Uh, professional journalist is used to uh flocking women coming to him but i'm experienced for the first time the uh oh he's the front man for rock band syndrome and i can tell you i know exactly why people like mick jagger fall for it all the time and get themselves into trouble you just mention those words and you turn around and the next thing you've got appreciated in my case female attention last night i was uh had the pleasure of talking to a 21 year old Actress who was desperately looking for someone who looked vaguely creative because we were in a Tory event. So he, she and I spent quite a bit of time talking to each other. She's looking forward to hearing um, the band stuff as well. Anyway, uh, it's fairly interesting. Uh, I, I didn't tell you about the events on Thursday night last after I got back from conference. Uh, my bandmate and I, due to transportation problems, shut up, well, when it was supposed to be ending, but there were still a few people around. And we ended up going to a a nightclub where we, uh, John and I and and, and our host rather annoyed a large group of, um, shall we say, rather large blingers who uh, were trying to get close to the uh, young ladies, the actresses, who were in our company, who were there for professional reasons to sort of, you know, chat about movies and stuff. (laughs) Nasty looks a couple of times and was rather worried and relieved when we left. On to other news. All the political reporters, and even London Spire are, are um, off the week because they're recovering from conference season. Now, some of these poor buggers have had to do all three, which is a bit rough on anyone. So this week, we're sort of all sitting around waiting to hear what's going to happen in the Tory leadership contest. Malcolm Rifkin, who uh, resembles a character in an in a insurance advert in this country for Eshor, um, who's basically a mouse, uh, has pulled out and backed Clark, which everybody's absolutely shocked to hear. Um, Cameron's doing well it looks like it's probably going to be a Cameron versus David Davis fight at the end last hurdle and it will be interesting to see how that turns out and I've talked to a lot of David Davis people and most of them say yes I would rather David Davis however if I had to settle for anybody I'd prefer Cameron there's something about Fox which you know, doesn't necessarily endear them I'm, I'm, we're all not quite sure what there's just something missing we're going to find out the first round, I believe, on Tuesday, and I believe they keep voting until they get it down to two. And I, I, as I said, I suspect it's going to be Cameron v. Uh, v. Davis, but who knows? Who knows? It could, it could be Fox v. Cameron or Fox v. Davis. We don't know yet. Clark looks like he's thankfully not going to make the second round, which is a great relief to all of us, because Clark anywhere near the leader, of the, being leader of the Tory party would be very worrying. I was at a formerly wet organization called the Heseltine Group, Team Group, which tends to attract sort of the Tory wet types, and the room was overwhelmingly for Cameron and, and David Davis. There was no one even supported Fox, and no one, e- but two or three people supported Clark, not e- not anymore, which is particularly interesting considering this this a, a notoriously a wet organization. Other than that, uh, obviously we all want to wish. Lady Thatcher happy birthday on her 80th it was a big party last night I'm afraid I wasn't on the guest list and neither were quite a few other people but we still give her our best London is is still in the post-conference season just sort of waking up the Prime Minister's question time was even vaguely polite I'm sure next week things are going to start picking up kicking off um, as everybody rests up from, from the conference season and the party season and then we'll get back into it um Hopefully next week I'll be able to report to you uh, how exactly things went in the leadership contest on Tuesday and who's through the final round. We'll see what else goes on. So that's the end of my report for this week. Stay safe, stay aware, and read andreandodge.com, disgracefulmusic.com, and libertycadre.net. Oh yes, one last thing, and one more thing, as Jobs is prone to say. The latest jib jab video features a certain. Well, it doesn't feature. I'm in a crowd scene. A certain uh, person's mug Namely my own I submitted it because I asked for headshots And and I I was selected
0: as one of the the people See if you can spot me Bye bye Thanks Andrew And I'd just like to stress that as a professional journalist I in fact do not have hordes of blue-eyed teenage groupies Trying to have their wicked way with me Turns out journalists get less action than rock gods Who knew? Well, that's it for another edition of Shire Network. Oh, yes, yes, my holiday on Rarotonga. The reason why there was no uh, Shire Network news last week. Yeah, it was uh, wonderful. My cousin Trudy got married on the beach and bare feet. It was uh, terrific. The sun shone. There were whales playing off the coast. I did a bit of diving. Even did a night dive. Yes, there's nothing quite as exhilarating as falling backwards off an inflatable boat into the inky depths of the South Pacific with half a ton of equipment strapped to your body. Possibly the finest laxative known to man. I can't recommend Rarotonga highly enough. If you want a really relaxing holiday, it's the place to go. I know it's a schlit from America, but you don't want to keep going back to Grand Cayman or Aruba all the time. For God's sake, the Caribbean's full of Americans. Come to the South Pacific, so it can be full of Americans as well. This is Tom Payne from silentrunning.tv. I'll see you next week. Until then, may your God go with you.